You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. Corinthians 6 1 don't receive the grace of God in vain don't receive it in vain God declared to Noah the spirit will not strive with man forever you never have a guarantee that tomorrow is going to come there is no guarantee all we are guaranteed is right here right now God has promised us eternal life he has promised us eternal life but he has not promised us a tomorrow that's a gift The Bible tells us that life is a vapor. You're given today, and then tomorrow is gone. And even then, tomorrow is not promised. As you listen to Pastor Dave's message today, take some time to evaluate your life. Ask yourself the tough questions. Are you wasting your days doing meaningless things? Life is a gift. Don't waste it. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of John chapter 7. As he continues his message, tomorrow may be too late. They put off believing in Jesus Christ because they were blinded by their pride, blinded by their arrogance, blinded by their prejudices, blinded by what they saw, what they speculated, what they perceived. They were blinded. And the Pharisees heard that more people were flocking to Jesus than to them. Red flag went up. They saw their numbers decline. The coffers at the temple would start to decline. They were getting worried. They thought something drastic had to happen. We got to do something. We have to do something about this guy. So they sent out someone to arrest him. Go get him. How dare he challenge our belief system? How dare he challenge us? Who does he think he is? After all, we're the religious leaders. Look at verse 32. The Pharisees heard the crowd murmuring these things concerning him. And the Pharisees and the chief priests sent officers to take him. What a futile attempt. What a downright futile attempt. Jesus has already said that his time hadn't come. There's no way anybody was going to arrest Jesus. There's no way anybody was even going to seize him or take hold of him until the hour came, until the time was perfect. Everything had to happen according to God's timetable. Yes, God has a timetable. And if you haven't found out, It's a little different than ours. God's timetable is a tad different than our timetable. Number one, God's timing is perfect. But we cannot force our schedule upon him, for he is sovereign. Now, we know that God is not in a hurry, and he does all things in a specific time to his pleasure. He knows exactly when all things will happen, way back in Chapter 15 of the book of Genesis, we see God's timing for the Abrahamic covenant. When God called Abraham and gave him the covenant with him, he told him that this nation that was being developed would suffer and be slaves for 400 years. And the exact words he uses in 1516, but in the fourth generation, they shall return here, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. That was God's timetable. 
when the iniquity of the Amorites was complete, would take 400 years, God would pull them out. How long was Israel in Egypt? 400 years. In Genesis 21, in verse 2, it says, For Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the set time which God had spoken to him. God had a time. It was fulfilled. We're going to look at Ecclesiastes 3, verses 1 through 8 in a little while. For everything there is a time. For every season there is a time. God has a perfect time. And finally, in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul writes to the church of Ephesus in chapter 1, verse 10. He says this, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he, God, might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him, in Christ. God has a specific time for when this gathering will take place. This gathering that we know, we call it the rapture of the church. There was a specific time. How many times did they ask Jesus, when will the last days be? No man knows the hour or the time except who? My Father in heaven. Right, there is a timetable. God has a timetable. I think I've driven the point home. Jesus basically says to the Pharisees, hey guys, time's short. Look at verses 33 and 32. Then Jesus said to them, I shall be with you a little while longer, and then I go to him who sent me. You will seek me and not find me, and where I am, you cannot come. Hey guys, I'm going to be out of here a little while longer. I'm getting out of here, and after I'm gone, you're going to have a hard time finding me. My time is limited. Let's not waste it. This is a limited time offer, folks. This time that I'm giving you has an expiration date. You need to get busy and make some decisions here, or this time isn't going to come around again. And, and guess what? After I'm gone, you're not going to be able to find me. You may look and you may seek, but they didn't understand. They didn't understand because they were thinking earthly. They were thinking earthly. Jesus is speaking about heavenly. Look at 35 and 36. Then the Jews said among themselves, what does he intend to go? Where does he intend to go that we shall not find him? Does he intend to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What is this thing he said? You will seek me and not find me, and where I am you cannot go or come. They were confused. Their replies was, where does he think he's going? You know, you can almost hear the mocking tone in their voice. Where do you think you're going? Where do you think you might be going to? What is wrong with you guys? What is this thing he said? And I love the way Jesus talks to these guys. I really do. You ever notice how candidly he speaks to them, how boldly he speaks to them. He never pulls any punches, does he? He speaks words of truth. And interestingly here is the implication in the original language is not only won't you find me where I'm going, but you can't come. You won't be able to come because you didn't make the decision to believe in me. You can't come. Sorry, folks. You don't have a ticket. You can't enjoy this ride. But on the same hand, right before Jesus' crucifixion, in John 14, in the first six verses, he tells the disciples, you know where I'm going. And if I go, I'm coming back for you. I'm taking you with me. See the difference? It's a huge difference here. 
One is in total unbelief, total rejection, total procrastination. The others are in faith. They're in belief. And Jesus is telling them, you know where I'm going. You know exactly where I'm going. And if I go, I'm going to come back for you. And then Thomas is going, we don't know where you're going. What do you mean we know where you're going? Jesus had to have a smile on his face when he looked at Thomas. Come on. He had to have a smile on his face when he looked at Thomas. I wonder what he was really thinking. He had to have a great smile on his face when he said, Thomas, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life, and no man comes to the Father except through me. No man. Wow. Poor Thomas sat back and went, humana, 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 humana. (laughs) Staring at Jesus. Jesus could speak like this because he feared no man. He had no fear of man. He did not live in the fear of man. Unlike the Pharisees, Jesus wasn't trying to build a reputation. He wasn't trying to build a ministry. His sights were on heaven. His sights were on heaven. And guess what, guys? That's where our sights should be, too. Our sight should be on heaven, the heavenly place. And when Paul is writing the beautiful book of Philippians, in chapter 3, one of the most glorious chapters, the entire book of Philippians is glorious. If you want to spend some time in it, Mark's going through it at Conifer Village on uh, every other Wednesday. In chapter 3, in verse 20, beginning in verse 20, he says, Paul writes to them and says, For our citizenship is in heaven from which we also eagerly wait the Savior of the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body, that it may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. Therefore, my beloved, my long for brethren, my joy, my crown, stand fast in the Lord. Wow. Our home is in heaven. Do you realize that? And do you realize that positionally that's where we are right now? Dave, you're out of your mind. I'm right here in this church. No. Read the word of God. Positionally, we are seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. That's our position. And this is a reality. Having been born again into a living hope, by the precious blood of Jesus Christ, we are now children of the Most High God, and therefore, we are citizens of heaven. We are citizens of heaven. Heaven is our home. Earth is no longer our home. We're just visiting. We're just passing through. And just like Jesus, when he said he was leaving soon, we also will be leaving soon. We will also be leaving soon, and our lives should reflect this. Our lives should reflect the urgency of where we're going and what's going to happen. The urgency is that soon we won't be here. We can tell our family members that don't know Christ. We can tell our friends who don't know Christ. We can tell people, little while, you won't see me any longer. I'm going to be out of here. I'm going to be gone. And where I'm going, I don't think you know. And because you don't know, you can't come. Oh, you want to come? Let me show you the way. His name is Jesus Christ. That's what we do. Therein is our hope. That is our hope. Our lives should reflect this. Everything we do should have a heavenly scent about it. Everything we do should have the aroma of heaven about it, the aroma of Christ. We should not be storing up treasures on earth. We should be storing up treasures in heaven. Remember in Luke 12, the man who was gathering all these goodies, he was gathering all these things and he kept on piling and stockpiling and stockpiling and getting these things together. What did Jesus say to him? You fool. Tonight your soul is required of you. Then what are you going to do with all these things? No. 
Has anybody ever said to you, you're so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good? (laughs) I hope they do. I hope they say that to you. I hope they say that to you because if they say that to you, that means you're living out Jesus' life in you. That means they see something in you. They're not really sure what it is, but you're so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good. Praise God. Thank you. Have any more compliments coming my way? This is great. And we said earlier that God has an appointed time. We said God has an appointed time and seasons in our lives. And you know, to everything there is a season, to every time there's a purpose under heaven. And you know the list in Ecclesiastes 3, 1 through 8, those beautiful verses that the birds made a million dollars off of. I was just wondering how many of you knew the birds, who they were out there. Someone mentioned a verse to me yesterday that really struck my heart. And as I studied it, I realized it was the perfect verse for this message. It's in 2 Corinthians 6. In 2 Corinthians 6, I'm going to read verses 1 and 2. Paul is writing to the church in Corinth. He says, we then as workers together with him also plead with you, do not receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in an acceptable time, I have heard you. And in that day of salvation, I have helped you. Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Think about it. We know that Jesus had an appointed time. We know that God had an appointed time for the salvation of Israel. And at that time, Jesus presents himself as their Messiah. He rides in on a donkey and presents himself as a Messiah, their Savior. Long ago, the prophet Daniel said that the time of the commandment went forth to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of the Prince of Peace, the Messiah, would be 483 years. In exactly 483 years after that, on that very day that Artaxerxes gave the commandment to Nehemiah and said, go restore the walls, that very day, 483 years later, Jesus rode into Jerusalem and they all hailed him as king. They all hailed him as king, putting things before him. We call it Palm Sunday. But this was the appointed day for Israel's salvation. It was a day that God had appointed from them, but they missed it. And if you remember correctly, what did it cause Jesus to do? Cry. Jesus cried. He wept over the city of Jerusalem because they missed their day of visitation. Jesus knew that only a week later he would be gone. Jesus knew that only within a short time he would be crucified and he would be dead and he would finally rise again, but then days later he would ascend into heaven to be on the right hand of God the Father. He knew that, so he cried. He wept over Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem, oh, Jerusalem, how I wanted to gather you like a hen gathers her chicks. Oh, how he wanted them to come to him, but they did not. They missed it. They missed it. The time is gone. They missed it. In Jeremiah 8, verse 20, is probably one of the saddest scriptures in the Bible. It says, the harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we are not saved. Oh, God has everything set in a time schedule. There is a time for salvation, and today is that day. We are living in a day of salvation. The book of Hebrews tells us that God has a limited, a certain day 
that he said in the Psalms today, today if you hear my voice, do not harden your heart. Today if you hear my voice, do not harden your heart. Not yesterday, not what you'll hear tomorrow. Today if you hear my voice, do not harden your heart. Paul is exhorting the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 6.1, don't receive the grace of God in vain. Don't receive it in vain. God declared to Noah, the spirit will not strive with man forever. You never have a guarantee that tomorrow is going to come. There is no guarantee. All we are guaranteed is right here, right now. God has promised us eternal life. He has promised us eternal life, but he has not promised us a tomorrow. That's a gift. Paul was witnessing to Governor Felix. Felix was under deep conviction. Felix, was, his heart was being broken by the Holy Spirit. He said, go your way this time, and when I have a convenient season, I'll call for you. Procrastinator, procrastinator, guess what? That time never came for Felix. That time never came for Felix that we know of. Many others have shared the same view that Felix has, and they've shared the same fate. Read in the Gospels when Jesus says, follow me. Well, let me bury my mom and my dad. Follow me. Well, let me go look at some oxen that I buy. You mean you didn't look at them before you bought them? You know, excuses, procrastination. They're making excuses. The prophet Isaiah said this, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon his name while the time is near. Paul said, now is the acceptable time. What can be gained by waiting? What can be gained by waiting? What can be gained by procrastinating? Why is it that you've put off your salvation? Why is it that you've put off answering the call of God in your heart? Answering to what God has called you to do in ministry. What God has called you to witness to the person next door or whatever. What is it? Why are you procrastinating? Do you have some unfinished sins that you still want to commit? Some unfinished things? Many people who wanted a last fling, one last fling before making a commitment, never survived the last fling. People said, I just need one more time, and then I'm going to accept the Lord. Well, the one more time never came. Don't you realize that the last fling is the absolute most dangerous thing you could possibly do? Don't you think Satan knows what you're going to do? He knows what you've said. One more fling, and I'll give my heart to Jesus. And Satan's saying, oh, no, you won't. Stands to reason. I believe in my heart that every man gets a final call from God. We all get a final call from God. I believe there are people who are suffering separation from God today who had that final call from God and who did not accept it. They rejected it. This could be God's final call for someone. I'm not trying to be morbid. I'm just trying to tell you the truth. This could be your last chance to receive salvation. This could be your last chance to draw close to the Lord. Many say, I'm going to wait until I get a little older. I want to have some fun. I want to have some fun before I get serious with God. Solomon said this, remember now your creator in the days of your youth before the evil days come or the days draw near when you say, I have no pleasure in them. How many of us, I said us first, how many of us who are older are paying now for the wild oats we sowed years ago? We've ruined our health. We've ruined our minds. We've destroyed families. We've lost friends. Some of us have even destroyed the capacity to make good judgments. It's tragic when I see a young person who is so headstrong that they race down the path of destruction. 
They're racing down the path of destruction, and you're trying to hold them back. It's like you got a hold of their suspenders in a Three Stooges movie, and they, they're bending all that up. You're trying to hold on to them. You see them when you see what's happening. You see that disaster is waiting them. You see it coming. It's just around the next bend. Won't you listen to the warnings? Jesus is warning them right now. He's warning them. But the anxiety compounds when it's your own kid. When you see your own kid going down that path and you cannot stop them, no matter how much you explain, how much you tell them, how much you call upon the Lord, it seems like they're, they're bent to destruction. Today is the day of salvation, not tomorrow. Today. Today, not next year, not next month. Today is the day of salvation. This is a limited time offer, folks. It's a limited time offer, not by me, not by me. For when the day comes, when we'll all be gathered in the air and we are complete in Jesus Christ, those that are left behind will have one hard time to get into the kingdom. Right now, the simple way to get into the kingdom is to believe upon him whom he sent. To believe upon Jesus Christ, to be saved, to have everlasting life, to be born again into a living hope. Believe. I confess my sins. I look to Jesus. I say, come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Fill me with your spirit and take me. I'm yours completely. But if that time comes when the dispensation of grace ends, you're going to have to lose your head to get in. You will have to be decapitated. You will have to lose your head to come into the kingdom. You will be martyred into the kingdom. No other way. You can still get there. God has given us all an opportunity to receive his grace. You either accept it or you reject it. Should you reject it, and it's your choice, you might not get another shot. You just might not get another shot. Don't procrastinate any longer. Don't procrastinate one more minute you might not have one. Let us not be guilty of wasting this limited time offer. Let us not be guilty of rejecting or making excuses for not responding to Jesus. Salvation is number one. It's priority. Salvation. That's what we're preaching here. Salvation through Jesus Christ. That is the priority. Number one on the list. Number one on the list is salvation. Number two on the list is start responding to what God has called you to do. Has God called you into something? Has God called you into ministry? Has God called you and placed a calling on your life? Start responding. Don't put it off any longer. The chances for you to witness to that person who's dying and going to hell are getting smaller and smaller. And it's not up to everyone else. If God has called you to do it, it's up to you. It's not up to everybody else. We need to respond to Jesus today with a passion to live a vibrant life before our hearts grow cold, before our hearts grow weary, and before we're taken out of here in a blazing glory and they look around and go, oh wow, they were right before it's too late. You are a sure.
The Gospel of John was written from a perspective that provides an eyewitness account of what happened during the life of Jesus here on earth. Different than the other three Gospels, John's book describes Jesus in ways that confirm him as the Son of God. There are things done and said that can only point to Jesus being far more powerful than what a human could do. In the Old Testament, God referred to himself as, I am. In this book, John recounts how Jesus said, I am the light of the world. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and I am the resurrection and the life. These were bold statements, but Jesus proved throughout his ministry that they were indeed true. He lived a life that compelled people to follow at that time, to seek him out, and to commit their lives. And we can also follow him today. If you missed any part of today's teaching, or you'd like to listen to additional messages from Pastor Dave, visit assurehoperadio.com. Perhaps you were listening, you realized that you have some questions about faith, and maybe even about salvation. We'd be happy to talk with you and provide some resources to answer your questions. Give us a call at 609-884-5821. Again, that's 609-884-5821. You can also click on the Jesus tab at assurehoperadio.com. This will provide you with a succinct picture of who Jesus is and how he can change your life. Thank you again for taking the time to learn about God's word today. We hope you'll join us again next time on A Sure Hope.